0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Deeper Cut podcast, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It's good to be with you today. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how's it going?
1: Going well, Tim. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Good to see you. It's a lovely, beautiful blue sky day here in Pittman, New Jersey.
1: Spring is springing. It's about time. (laughs) We got the the rainy days are just an investment in the blossoms and the Mm, green. We got to always keep that in mind.
0: Well, we haven't quite made it to April showers yet, so we still have to that to look forward to. But yesterday was a lovely day. I was saying to um, my wife, driving into church yesterday, that what a beautiful weather day would have been if it was Easter. I'm, I'm praying that we have a similar yeah. day for Easter. Yeah. Um, the,
1: the Puritan in me wants to remind you every Sunday is Resurrection yeah. <laughs> Sunday, Tim.
0: Amen. Amen. Yes. We should be singing Easter songs every week. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great day here again, and we are in the comfy, cozy confines of our studio this morning, a.k.a. Phil's study. And um, looking forward to the next 45 minutes or so uh, in our conversation about first Peter and the sermon from, from yesterday.
1: Me too, we want to introduce our, our, our sometimes esteemed, guest Our themed guest podcast who's, mascot.
0: <clears throat> yes, who's um, nestled in a little ball, sleeping on the rug. Rocky. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Rocky, if you hear uh, him in the background. Uh, we will give him a shout out at that time, but he uh, he sometimes frequents us. He does. He kind of comes he has and goes. A mind of his own. Yeah, you know, there's there's a uh, I'm a craft beer nerd, and so there's a thing, such thing as a, a a brewery cat. Most breweries have a cat around. Okay. I think some of it might be practical, and others reasons maybe not. But there's usually a dog or a cat <laughs> on premise, so. We'll just say that um, every podcast needs a... A dog. A dog, yeah. So, check that box, Phil, right off the top.
1: We're well on our way to becoming <laughs> a significant <laughs> movement in podcasting.
0: Yeah, yeah. We The microphones and everything else comes second. The, the dog comes first. Um, <clears throat> you had a tall order... On your plate yesterday i think phil in, i did in um Second <clears throat> peter so so for everyone who who might be new joining us um or just as a reminder we have been going through um the letter from peter to the the church uh in the diaspora so his first letter first peter since the beginning of this year and will continue through uh through most of the year i believe but we are in chapter two, and specifically yesterday we were looking at verses thirteen through twenty. So there is a, a whole lot to to chew on there. Um, more than any mere mortal could probably take up in one in one sermon, really. Um, Indeed. But uh, you you took a nice big whack at it, Phil. In my opinion, and I really appreciated what you had to share, that sermon is already posted on the website, so I'd encourage you all to go and uh, check out the other podcast channel and and, uh, and now, listen to that.
1: Tim, you, you had said that some people didn't feel that I I handled the whole passage and that I um, cut off the beginning and the end and I sort of landed in the middle. Um,
0: well, you, you did and actually I, I say did, from did, the pulpit that you weren't going you're kind of not going to address the last few verses, uh-huh. but then you kind of also didn't address the first few verses, you just didn't say anything <laughs> about that, <laughs> so, so...
1: Well, in, in homiletics, there's something called pulpit freedom and pulpit fear, and the first is to be pursued with, with everything you got, and the second is to be avoided at all costs, and there's no perfect sermon where the preacher is completely free and where there is no fear of man or fear of self which is the same thing. Um, I'm constantly wrestling with how specific to be and what is discipleship from the pulpit look like Hmm. with the cross-section of people that are present and my own developed uh, ideas. Uh, I've used the phrase before, and if, if any young preachers are listening, um, that kind of conversation is better for the fire pit than for the pulpit, and um, or the classroom, rather than the sanctuary. Yeah. So, uh, not all preachers are as sensitive as I am to that, and I think probably, I, perhaps, I'm oversensitive. I do wind up feeling like I was a chicken on some things, like I would just simply avoided a topic. Um, And sometimes those thoughts are just in my head. But a, a, a preacher who has to answer for God, answer to God for his words, that's what James said, let not many of you be teachers. So, and he goes on to elaborate in nine verses all the various sins that come out of the tongue. Um, and then the first thing that wisdom from above in James 3, 3, uh, 317 is pure. So, you know, you want the preaching to be pure, uh, pure from heaven. And um, talking in detail about what submission looks like is uh, to to the, to secular authority that's suppressive to Christians, which sounds a lot like our society today. Was not an easy task, and I didn't uh, I didn't know how to do it very well. I think maybe we can get some of that here in the podcast this morning. But I also felt, uh, in addition to my own inadequacy and some uncertainty there, I felt that. Um, our church needed to hear yesterday um, needed to be taught and spoken to by christ about the will of god for them and that verse stands out like a billboard it's kind of like um when when you read in the bible this is why jesus came you know Mm -hmm. underline it it when the bible becomes so explicit um then you need to pay attention and i didn't want the will of god which was explicitly stated for us to be lost in an application and i wonder if we know what the will of god is for us mm. so that that was maybe the this the spiritual burden i came with knowing that it was going to come at a cost Including my own, you know, you're you're always limited in your preparation. I could have I could have done more. It's always could have, should have, would have done better. But uh, you trust that you know when you get there that Jesus is going to make much out of my little. And I've got a couple fish and a few loaves, and mm-hmm. Jesus has to do the rest.
0: Amen. Yeah, or you you have a couple fish and you hope that a couple coins are going to come out. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The other fish story that you actually used yesterday.
1: Yeah, I love that story. So maybe we can go verse by verse, Tim. We haven't done that before in the podcast.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a good idea. Um,
1: any comments on on any thoughts that that triggered what I was sharing?
0: Um. I I always appreciate. Um, I, I get a I get, and I guess now our listeners do at some to some extent, uh, a peek behind the curtain, if you will. Um, or you get to see how the the soup is made to some extent. Um, and I always appreciate um, the thought and the prayer and kind of the wrestling that you do on a weekly basis with your own mind, because I know you, you're a scholar, you know, you're not a professor, but you know, I, I look at the wall of books behind you. Um, I, I don't know how many hours of conversation we have together at this point, um, even off air, but I, I know you enjoy intellectual conversation and those kinds of things. And sometimes that, at least for me, in my mind, that can crowd out the will of God, right? yeah, and here and and speaking the will of God to people, um, and with a passage like this, I, I was saying it a little tongue in cheek, but in reality, like, it's kind of an insurmountable amount of stuff to cover, uh, in a sermon. Like it just mm-hmm. is. If you if you look at thirteen through twenty, um, there's a lot, a lot. Like I mean, we could spend the next month of podcast talking about these mm-hmm. verses easily, and so you, know, you um. You, genuinely trying to discern God's will for what you think our church needs to hear, what you need to hear, because you're the first person that hears the sermon. That's true. Um, and then also your vulnerability, even from the pulpit, yesterday. like you, you made a remark at the beginning in passing that I think maybe might have gotten lost in the fray, but you know, you said, you said. <laughs> you said I have someone talking to me on the way to church every single Sunday, even even yesterday, about the sermon and what you should say and what you shouldn't say. And having had the opportunity, the honor to exhort from the pulpit the past couple of years, I know that feeling, even a little bit, mm-hmm. not, not as much as you. And that's a hard, that's a really hard thing. So I need
1: to renew my prescription for psychotropic meds. That's really the outtake on that.
0: <laughs> no, you need you need your uh, your wife to get home is what yeah. you need. More
1: than well, let's dive into verse 13 and see where it takes us. So um, I'll be reading from from my Bible, and you can comment on your Bible. It says, verse 13 says, Submit to every man-made institution, or I think ESV is human institution, for the Lord's sake. That's the first phrase. So um, the word submit is uh, place yourself under. And different ways of phrasing it, I think I might have mentioned in the message, be subject to is a little less personal. Um, Be in subjection to. Uh, place yourself under the authority of every human institution or every human creature. Actually, is a little more literal. One of my commentators made the observation that the word here is creature, and depending on how you, which one is the adjective, it's either a human institution or a uh, a human creature, a a man-made a man man-like creature. Hmm. Um, The commentator's observation is no institutions are mentioned, just individuals. So you have a a king, which the ESV interprets as an emperor, and that's probably correct. Then you have a governor, a hegemon, and then you have a despot, who is the the overlord for the servant. And then in chapter 3 you have a husband, An unbelieving husband. So every human creature (coughs) makes sense Hmm. to me. But the creature also represents a framework or an institution in which that submission is expected. And that is where I think you really get some interest, some sparks start to to fly. Because the institution of the emperor, i.e., the king, of the governor, the hegemon, the one who's punishing essentially the the local enforcer of the institution of marriage, um, are those human institutions? Those are human creatures. To what extent are they part of a divinely ordained structure? In other words, this is not Romans 13. Right. So Peter is not coming out of the gate saying the emperor has been ordained by God. If you're looking for that in this passage, let me know if you find it. Uh, The one place I thought it was, if we proceed into verse 14, submit to every man-made or human institution or every human creature for the Lord's sake, whether the king as supreme... Or to governors as having been sent from him. So who's the him? I had always read that reading Romans 13 into 1 Peter 2, I'd always read that as from the Lord. But the very the most, you know, the rule in interpretation is what's the preceding noun? Who's sending the governor? I think it's the emperor. emperor. Hmm. So the the emperor is the one who sent the governor to punish evil and to do good. And but what Paul says in Romans thirteen is it's God who has sent the magistrate to punish evil and to do good. Right. Now these aren't you know this isn't a contradiction in Scripture, but it is uh, shows the, the texture of Scripture. Paul is emphasizing one thing. Peter isn't denying that, but it isn't his main point. His main point is submission to the human institution of the imperial rule and all of its trappings. So, where do we, um, how do, how are we to think about Rome as an institution uh, of God? And the reason that's important becomes a little more clear when we get down to the passage on slavery. Um, if that also is a human institution, then it suggests that Rome, in its way of governing, that institutionalized expression of authority is no more permanent than slavery and neither is marriage, or at least marriage as Peter understands it. So, so to putting a sharp point on it, to what degree is Peter simply calling on the Christians in in Babylon and in the dispersion to accommodate themselves to a man-made expression of social organization? And to what degree is he calling on the Christians in these dispersed areas as newborn Christians living as aliens and exiles to, to do God's will? So is submission a biblical duty because it's God's institution that they're submitting to, or is it simply being good citizens and doing what's expected of them in their social milieu? That becomes the, the problem of interpreting Peter in this part of Peter. Hmm. And I think there's a little of both, is my, is my view.
0: My untrained (laughs) take on this, or the way I've always kind of read it or thought about it, is um, the focus here that Peter's making in verse 13 is for the Lord's sake. And then he's using these other things as I don't want to say casting a wide net, but here's examples that would be appropriate or meaningful to those whom he's writing to in terms of these, like, for all of, in all of these ways, for God's sake, um, you should should submit. Because again, I'm jumping ahead, but in verse 15, for this is the will of God is kind of narrowing in. All right. So 13, 14 is kind of like the wide, and then 15 is like, mm-hmm. you know, the next step inward, if you will. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if I've ever thought or read into, I don't say read into, but thought so deeply about the specific examples or words that Peter was using there in terms of emperor, governor, um, or the, you know those who do evil. Um, I was always thinking more like, well, that's a pretty, that's kind of like almost everything. It kind of covers it all. Mm -hmm. So for God's sakes, be submissive to whatever authority you're under Mm -hmm. for this is the will. You know, I kind of jumped to 15, I guess. That's
1: okay. So let's look at that for the Lord's sake. Um, One way to translate that is through the Lord.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so, you know, it, it kind of asks, what do you mean by, what does it mean for the Lord's sake? Mm-hmm. Um, because you're his, you're going to do this. Right. That, that to me is what it means first. And I actually touched on this a little bit in the message. You're going to do this with what he provides you know, through the Lord. Hmm. So f- for the Lord's sake, meaning um, because you belong to him, you're going to live like him, and that, that ties in with uh, the end of chapter 2. But because you belong to him, he's, he's uniquely equipped you to do this as well. So through the Lord, you're going to do this submission.
0: Right.
1: Uh, it reminds me there of Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, that, that doesn't just mean that the husband is treated like a wife treats Christ, although it does mean that, but it means out of your vast experience of finding uh, contentment in Christ, who is the greater, and through that experience of finding contentment and satisfaction in your Savior, the greater, uh, this little man over here deserves an analogous treatment, and you can handle it because you've started with your Savior. So that's as unto the Lord. Hmm. So I think for the Lord's sake has a little bit of that same dynamic here. And so when when you get to the will of God, what is the will of God specifically? It's witness. So it's uh, we want Pharaoh, to use an Old Testament example, to know who's God, because right. he doesn't. And so, um, we want Pharaoh to be silenced and he was, <laughs> in fairly dramatic fashion. Yeah. So the, the Christians in the Roman empire are on a mission to silence the blabbering mouths of pagans who are undermining and discounting and disregarding the glorious God for all of their pagan idolatry and the way that that, that apologetic silencing is going to take place is by me remembering that I belong to Christ and submitting myself to this human institution called the Imperium. So, including the governor who's punishing those who do good and are punishing those who do evil and rewarding those who do good. Clearly, Peter isn't including all the exceptions there because we all would, would... immediately realize that the governors don't always punish evil and reward the good. They sometimes reward their buddies mm-hmm. and punish their political enemies. So I do think there's a hint there, by the way, in the governor with those attributes of good and evil that God is, is the agent who's behind them and motivating them in the best sense to do good and to avoid evil. But uh, Peter doesn't say, say as much. So 15 to me is an apologetic piece, Tim. Mm. The will of God is that you are a manifesting, billboard, billboarding, proclaiming. Um, and here I think we anticipate 1 Peter 3.15, so that when they ask you for the reason or the hope that lies within you, you answer them with gentleness and respect. You're submitting to the human institutions. <coughs> So, um, instead of doing what? All that looks like living as free people in verse 16. Um, By the way, the will of God, I think I skipped this, while doing good. Yeah. That's a key term for Peter. It shows up five or six times in the letter. And the main job that a Christian has in an, in an oppressive, non-Christian environment is to do good. That's our, that's our apologetic calling. That's our mission. And it needs to have some connection with what the emperor might define as good, what the governor might define as good, otherwise you're going to be punished. And Christians were being punished, by the way. You can't allow the, the emperor's definition of good to overwhelm the biblical definition of good. But you, you need to make an effort to find points of contact in common grace so that your efforts at doing good uh, would not easily be dismissed as bad. And that's what I think 16 is getting at. As free people, not using your freedom as a pretext for bad behavior or for evil behavior, but living as servants of God. So the, the picture that develops is the oppression of Caesar and his imperium and the governors and all of their political maneuverings and punishing the good and rewarding the evil and all the crazy chaos of Roman, Roman uh, life, including slavery. Uh, that, d- that can't touch me. I'm free. And so I can willingly give myself to an oppressive non-Christian system and be a good farmer, farming good things. And that means like actual food, but just be cultivating good. It reminds me Psalm 37, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You're, you're being harried, you're being harassed, you're being persecuted, you're suffering, you're being mocked, you're being passed over for promotions you're being left by your unbelieving wife or left by your unbelieving husband mistreated by your master by your employer you you get no the, the papers social media it never says anything nice about you or your people but you're free from all that that doesn't touch you you're a servant of god so close your mouth and get busy doing good this is your this is your Calling in a in a in a non-Christian society where where you do not have the upper hand.
0: Yeah, I, I thought of um, Daniel.
1: Daniel is a great example. Yet yeah, no, no, no one could argue, no one could withstand him. Yeah, I love Daniel as an example. to Elaborate on that a little bit, Tim. It might be helpful.
0: Um, yeah, my head just um, kind of jumped to Daniel because the thing that always strikes me um, at the beginning of Daniel in particular is that he... Um, <laughs> Like he he like picks his battles right so he he's he's willing to to kind of go along and honor and be respectable and do good to use p- Peter language here um basically up to a, up to a point when it comes to his identity um and and I would attribute that again using peter's Peter's language that's Daniel doing good up until um, <clears throat> You know, living as a, a servant of God. So that there is, a, there is a point there.
1: There's a line that Daniel will not that cross. That
0: can't go over. But up into that line, right. Daniel is content and determined so to... So t- two
1: things we know about him on that line. He was a vegetarian. <laughs> and
0: yeah.
1: he wouldn't pray to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. But positively he kept his prayer prayer calendar pretty pretty religiously and that's what got him in trouble now the vegetarianism almost got him in trouble but then they saw that he was as healthy and pink cheeked yeah. as as the as the next kid who was eating all the king's table and so they let him alone to give equal time i my my controlling character here was esther hmm. Hmm. so um I don't know if you realize this, but Esther essentially joined a legal co- prostitution ring called the King's Harem at the encouragement of her uncle.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so that's submission
0: yeah. hmm.
1: of a kind that I'm afraid most of the women in our church and certainly the men and women for the daughters of the church would not countenance like if uh, President Biden had a harem. <laughs> I don't think I should finish that. Yeah, I think we can. I think I'll let you fill in the blanks there. <laughs> but look at how God delivered Esther is the point. And mm-hmm. the uncle's comment, which has rung down through the ages, is the key verse of the whole book. Who knows, it but for such a time as this. And so Esther was providentially positioned at just the right time to be the key influencer of the king, which wound up saving the entire people. Right. But these are both exile books. These are both dispersion. These are diaspora books. They're di- diaspora letters. Yeah. And uh, um, the 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 paradigm diaspora letter is in Jeremiah twenty nine. Do you, you know this? This is this, this would be worth looking at we'll let our listeners turn to Jeremiah 29 and that's so in terms of, um, you've heard of genre criticism, which is to say it's the study of, so Peter is an epistle, mm-hmm. um, Acts is a historiography or a history. The gospels are a kind of a complex genre of biography of, you know, the acts of a great man uh, these things. So we're not quite sure what the gospel is. It's a unique genre, sui generis. Psalms are poetry. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophecy with, with history, elements in it. But if you look at the top of Jeremiah 29, the ESV calls it Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. So diaspora letters were common in the ancient world going back you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Prior to Peter, Peter's a diaspora letter. That's yeah. it's it's what kind of epistle is it? It's a diaspora letter, and so uh, Peter is self-consciously imitating elements of that that he would have been aware of, going back centuries of this style of communicating to people, and. We have an example of that style in Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And some other uh, preliminary comments. Then he gets down to seven. Here we see, submit to every human institution. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Hmm. So just let some sparks fly there, Tim. And what connections are you seeing with that statement, Jeremiah 29, 7, and what we're talking about?
0: Yeah, this is do good. This is Peter's do good. Um yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of di- different language, certainly, but or different words, but the same exact sentiment. Um, this is God's doing, that you're there, the prosperity or the the benefit that comes is from the Lord. And since you're servants of him, this is what he's called you to do.
1: Don't complain. Certainly don't complain. Um, Don't resist. That's the tough part here. Um, I'm not saying there isn't a limit. Just like you pointed out, both with Esther and with Daniel, they had their limits. But I have the feeling that most of the people who would be hearing this sermon or this podcast... Uh, haven't even begun to approach their limit. Mm. Um, And read 29.11 is the famous promise verse.
0: Yeah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then 12 is, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Yeah. This is, um, I think the one thing that uh, at least I often forget. And when I start getting my feathers ruffled in the world, um, I feel like I'm, I get frustrated because I forget that my, I'm part of, I think that the kingdom I'm a part of is in this world. And so I'm like, I got to fight for the this kingdom because this is the kingdom. You know, like, this is the world that I'm more concerned about. And I forget that I am in exile that Peter's writing to, you know, a stranger in a strange land, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I, I, you know, you, you said it when we started, you know, what God you're trying to tell us the will of God. And Peter says, for this is the will of the Lord, like explicitly, let's pay attention to that and say, well, this is what God is literally explicitly telling us to do. Let's just do that and not worry about taking matters into our own hands here and thinking that we know better. And the reason why we could do that is because we are part of his kingdom by the blood of Christ. And it's a, it's a finished thing. Like that's, that's done and this world is going to pass away. And so we don't have to worry about it. So we can seek to do, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited about it because, you know, I read this in Jeremiah, um, back in, in seven, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And I go, well, like, why did you send me into, <laughs> why did you send me into exile? Like, you well, know, like, there, what, there's so what, many,
1: what's the answer to that? I was disciplining you I was punishing you so what's interesting about our diaspora is that we have become diaspora people by the grace of God so there's a flip mm. so the the context of exile in Jeremiah is the discipline of God's disobedient people um, Israel was disobedient so God sent a new Israel his name is Jesus he's the son who received discipline willingly entered into Babylonian exile and was punished to the infinite degree while he hung on the cross because he's the divine son of god he rose again from the dead and went home and so we've been born into by relationship to Christ we're we're home but in the meantime we're praying for, you know we that that new birth, as I pointed out on Sunday, has created tension in our current living environment.
0: Hmm.
1: I, but I think we're tempted to think that God has left us here hmm. and abandoned us and is, is not thinking about us, that we don't have work to do, and that doing good is no, it's, it's a waste of time. Hmm. So, um, but it's, it is God's will that we silence the talk of foolish people. So um, I, I, did, I did mention in the, in the message, do you actually know someone well enough who could actually ask you why you're doing that? Well, um, you could also say, do you know someone well enough who by your doing good would stop mocking Christ hmm. as much? Or are you so busy in your routine that you're never bumping into those people, in a, in a significant enough way, that they that their speech patterns change in any way at all?
0: Hmm.
1: Or maybe it's the opposite: the people that you are around, you're actually giving them cause, to say foolish and ignorant things,
0: hmm.
1: even your kids. So that's Christian hypocrisy. So. A friend of mine is an audio used to be an audio engineer in um, Nashville, and um, one of my best friends. We've been we've been around together a long time, and over the years, he's no longer in the industry. But over the years of being in as a Christian, being in the recording industry in Nashville, which is a little bit like being in the Christian publishing industry and living in Grand Rapids um you see a lot of crap, a lot of hypocrisy. And it isn't just in the musicians. It's in their parents. It's in their um their pub their publishers, their media specialists, hmm. their pastors of the churches that they go to. And uh you, you may know um and I've known some Christian musicians over the years where I know the real d- story, you know, behind the scenes story, and it's it's pretty ugly.
0: Right.
1: You can imagine there's a lot of foolish talk from ignorant people in Nashville, Tennessee, about God, that some, a good dose of good behavior from, from a few Christians would put that to, to silence. But they're so busy making money and getting their name out there and running the machine that uh, we just can't stop and take a breath to do some good things now that's that's a very jaded i'm being intentionally o- over jaded because i actually think that there's a lot of great christ-like christian musicians and I, l- I like to listen to christian music so i'm not that jaded tim but what do you, what do you think about that example
0: Um, I see myself in my own struggles, to be honest with you. Okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, I would imagine that if we looked in any place in any industry at any Christian, we'd see that same, and that's not an excuse that means that we all need to repent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I um, where, where so I can appreciate what you're sharing because I, I see or feel the same thing. Not that I'm plugged in, but I I kind of get jaded or over jaded in a way when thinking or listening to podcasts about. You know big name teaching elders, even in our denomination, you know and and rather than um, kind of be gracious even in my thoughts, I want to get up mm-hmm. on my high horse, even if it's just with friends or even in my own mind, mm-hmm. you know, and go, oh, you know. If only, if only he would do this instead, if only it wasn't that, you know, why can't you just, you know, I I don't I don't want to open up that can, but it's so easy to to kind of look externally and go, if only someone would pause and think and change what they're doing. Hmm. And then I think of myself (laughs) and if I'm actually honest with myself, you know, you said a couple of things that were very convicting to me. Um, just a moment ago, you know, how do, how are my kids, my two little kids responding in my house and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're constant fighting and disobedience. What is, yes, they're, they're little sinners who don't know how to control themselves. But what is that reflecting about me as their, as their father Mm -hmm. and how I'm parenting?
1: That's good. You know, so uh, in terms of limits, where do you see the limit in this passage of submission to every human creature or every man-made institution? So Attillo's in, in, I think it's Attillo's in Belmar, is at the gym that refused oh, to close? Oh, something like that, yeah. During uh, COVID, mm-hmm. At at the height of the COVID restrictions, Governor Murphy sent the National Guard down to close down the little gym of Belmar Actually, I'm, it's on my mind because I saw a guy at Starbucks yesterday who was wearing an Attilo's t-shirt and uh, if I may say so he looked like the kind of guy who would have gone to Attilo's gym during the time mm. like he was he was a big tough dude you mm-hmm. know you're not going to tell me to close my gym uh, uh, and I say that with affection you know like I appreciate that. Part of me, the, uh, the old revolutionary, you know, we're not going to pay King George the third's tax. So, um, so I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm not a member of Attillos gym, but part of me wanted to be wished I would have been at the, at that time, you know? So having said that, where's the limit here? I'm, and I'm thinking um you know, thirteen to seventeen.
0: Yeah, so um I would say the two the two things well I guess three really but um in sixteen living as servants of God and in seventeen fear God would be my first kind of like, Okay. that's the end of that's the that's the far right limit. That's the you do not pass go, do not collect so, two hundred dollars limit. So
1: saying that you see now uh, pastorally why started with you're a slave of god Mm -hmm. that sets the limit but peter isn't very specific as to what to put into that package like he doesn't say here's the red bright red line don't cross that line if anything he pushes us farther crossing multiple 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 lines that we have set up i will never cross that line and he pushes us there with With his first instance, slaves, be subject to your masters in all reverence. And not just to the good and gentle, but to those who are unjust, crooked, scoliois, which means twisted, hard, corrupt, evil, abusive, um, thieving, conniving. So that's a description of the subjection that Peter is calling for in the context of Rome that takes me way, way past anything I would have ever done. Right. Like Attila's, I mean, that's not even in the same solar system. So you see my thinking here. Um, I'm concerned as much as I admire the primal revolutionary impulse of Attila's gym, I'm concerned they are absolutely ignoring 1 Peter chapter
0: 2.
1: Hmm. And that's an easy example. Meaning those are people that are like me, they think like me, I I probably vote like them. I I have similar philosophical convictions on, you know, 7 out of 14 topics, and the other 7 I can appreciate their point of view like so that's a, that's a pretty easy one yeah we can come up with diff- more difficult ones particularly when it comes to women and minorities and some of the debates that are going on socially about uh, you know race rights or or equal treatment or um, systemic racism s- subjection through kind of misogynistic Uh, old white men on on dollar bills, you know, on printed faces, printed on currency, constitution, structurally racist. I mean, it just goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And those are harder topics because now I'm talking about people that are different than me. But I, I have the feeling that similar logic applies, that we have a lot more that we can give in terms of subjection to our context as free, God's free people, then we're comfortable giving. So to me, it cuts the conservative, it cuts the progressive right to the quick Mm -hmm. on a lot of the common cultural topics. 19 says, this is a gracious thing. If through the conscience of God or with with the mind of God, how does the ESV put it there?
0: Uh, when mindful of God.
1: Mindful of God. Interesting, because the word is uh, through the through a conscience of God, being conscious of God, perhaps.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's what ESV is but, getting at.
1: But I, I like to to think more in the Pauline with the mind of God. Hmm meaning having the renewed mind of your eschatologically formed spirit forged union with Christ, thinking like and acting and feeling and being a, a full orbed Christian. That to me is where where I could it's con- consci- like the Lord's sake and through it, the Lord's sake. It is same. it's it's a holistic um, framing of our of our of all of our duties. Hmm. So that's what enables me to endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. So where's our mind? You know, where's our conscience? And what are the influences? Speaking of podcasts, it's a big thing. I mean, I I hardly see my children walking around without earbuds in their ears, Mm. and they're listening to something good, I'm sure. At least they think it's good. Otherwise, you know, it's Spotify or, you know, a crime, Podcast or this or that, and 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 that's fine. But and and I think there's a good impulse there, and my kids are no different than half the people of the church and half half the people you see at Shoprite. You know, we're wanting to form our minds, um, but are we conscious of God when we're listening to these things? And are we aware of of where we need to be formed? Uh, And where God wants us to be formed and just where we want to be formed. Are we just listening to, you know, the same kind of the echo chamber of people that are affirming our prior formed convictions? You know, Fox News, CNN, whatever. Yeah. Are we conscious of God, Tim? That's Mm -hmm. my one, that's my burden with this passage.
0: Is that why it is a gracious, what makes it a gracious thing?
1: Um, a lot more than we realize this is, this is, uh, this is a, nowhere else in the Bible do you read this kind of language and it shows up twice. So 19, it's a gracious thing. And then look at 20, uh, this is grace with God or the, uh,
0: yeah, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God is right. says.
1: Before God is, is the literal there kind of, it's pro it's the prosopon, it's the face So you're in the, uh, uh, you've heard of Coram Deo, Mm -hmm. right? So living before the face of God. Um, um, Everything I do is in the sight of God. It's as if he's with me. He's my father with a face radiant and beaming with pleasure at his son because I'm living conscious of God, by the grace of God, for the grace of God, in the grace of God, rewarded by His grace. So I think it's all that. To me, grace is the engine that enables my ability and the reward that I receive from being faithful. Hmm. So I think there's a bit of a Christian teaching on rewards here for the slave who's faithful to the unjust master. Uh, the, The NET Bible says this pleases God, there in verse 20. We're living for the pleasure of God, not for the pleasure of our Master, even though it might look like we're going along with his dictates, or, you know, it might appear that we're actually endorsing his crookedness by subjecting ourselves to his crooked ways. We're not. Hmm. I'm going to mention next week that one of the ways that slaves on um, the plantations would rebel is they would drag their feet and slow down the works, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> well, I, I'd never read that before. But to disrupt the engine of the plantation, they would have little, little acts of rebellion. They drag their feet, and of course, the the white ma- slave master would say, you know, the the black people, the coloreds, whatever the 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 word of pigment used in those times, mm-hmm. you know, some aren't aren't acceptable in polite company. Um, They don't have a good work ethic. And I I can hear the, you know, the slave saying, exactly, (laughs) I'm glad you noticed. Mm -hmm. So is that slave who's dragging his feet slowing down the works is he being subject and i think he is i think he's not openly rebelling he's doing what he's told just not in exactly the way he was told to do it and um, i'm just trying to put myself in his place and what would i have done Hmm. You know they they separated your wife, um, your daughter has been taken into the master's house, um, and you're in in the process of being sold to another owner in New Orleans from Virginia. Um, I just I just can't imagine how I would have not, and then you have no weapons, you have no rights, you can't read. And this is the, this is my context of slavery. I mentioned in the pulpit that this isn't exactly the slavery here, and it's hard yeah, to separate not, it. not to read my context of slavery into this. What's shocking is that those white plantation owners went to churches who preached this text justifying what I just described to you that is shocking to me
0: appalling really in a way hmm.
1: so you know i get we're we're drifting into next yeah. sunday's message a little <laughs> bit i told you beforehand i'd spent so much time on the slavery question but and that's that's just pre that's kind of pre abraham lincoln when you get into post-Civil War and Jim Crow, um, it it's just it just goes on and on, sharecropping and um, you know separate bathrooms and um, uh, miscegenation laws where you know uh, interracial relationships are forbidden and uh, lots of things that. go on and on up until my mom was born um probably seven and this may come up next week but seven or eight i I used to read two or three books every february black history month just as a way of um listening Hmm. and i told a minority friend of mine that i was doing this and this the person mocked me and said, why, why are you reading about that stuff? You need to be doing doing something. And that struck a blow to my plan, my sensitive conscience, and so I stopped. I also stopped because uh, the, the conversation on race began to change in our country, particularly around the time of George Floyd in 2020 and even before then. But anyway, um, one year I read the um, um, the uh, spiritual autobiography of Sidney Poitier who's not an African American he's Bahamian so it turns out he arrived in Miami the same year my my mother was born hmm. nineteen forty four and the story of his emigration to the us is is a is a miracle because I mean he grew up in abject poverty and you know stealing food and hiding from bandits and stuff like that and wherever he lived in the Bahamas and um, he got a job as a delivery boy and not knowing the rules in Miami in 1944 he brought the delivery to the front door of a lady's house and she opened the door and said your kind go around back So he he learned, apparently that's not how, you know, race in the Bahamas in 1944 wasn't like that. He didn't know he's 16 years old. So welcome to America, kid. Go around back. So when I hear about systemic racism, I think about that because that was happening when my mother was born. So to me, that's eye opening. <laughs> And I don't want to diminish the progress that we've made, but it makes me wonder, you know, where is the, li- the, this this whole tangent on race and slavery began with the question is where is the limit of subjection? So maybe I'll let you comment now that I'm done.
0: <laughs> Thanks. It's a great time to pass it over to your, your partner. Um, <clears throat> I think that as as christians we we need to seriously kind of think about these things across the spectrum, and I'm kind of you know tiptoeing around you know your direct question, Phil, but you know where <coughs> where is the limit in a number of different areas in our lives, you know, where we're called to honor god and be servants of his and i'm not willing to go anywhere near that like my line is so far away to to use (laughs) she's a a friend's reference i'm so far past or i'm so far away from the line i'm going to change it a little bit i'm so far away from the line the line is a dot to me Mm -hmm. you know it's that far away Mm -hmm. um and you know i i have not personally come you know, in that pers- that context, you know the, the the racial context that doesn't really bump into my life on a regular basis, um, but certainly there are a lot of other areas in my life that, you know, I I put the stiff arm up, if you will, to to kind of what God tells me to do. And mm-hmm. go, no, no, I'm going to set the line here, you know, um, whether that's in my marriage um, or with my kids or in my job with people that I work with or work for me. And I was just, just kind of confessing to a brother this morning that I really struggle with, you know, we used the word jaded earlier with being jaded about extending grace to people when I'm frustrated because they're not doing what. I think they should be doing or what I want them to do or what I've told them to do and mm-hmm. rather than have some long suffering and, and being willing to kind of keep going back to that well in prayer and with mercy, I go, see ya. And I kick him through the door basically kind of thing. So I've, I've changed that, you know, changed your, your question around, but I do think that, um, Peter is, Requiring us to take a a good, hard look at that across the spectrum in our lives. Um, How are we treating our other brothers and sisters in in Christ? How are we treating leadership in the church? How are we treating, like I said, our wives or our kids? Or even, I mean, something as simple as, um, uh, you know, the the white-haired folks in our lives, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um
1: well if if this kind of subjection is required for a man-made institution of a God hating emperor and his whole imperial system
0: hmm.
1: from the lesser to the greater, we are to love the brotherhood. Yeah. And fear God. You're just honoring the king. Hmm. So um, it, it does also, I think, to use your point, shine a very bright and uncomfortably revealing light on the paltry nature of our, of our Christian families and our Christian assemblies called church. And what's happening is, is that we're acting like the worldly society around us in these places of sacred meaning that God has called us to a, a much higher ethic
0: hmm.
1: than just subjection and doing good. Um, yeah, we're, the we're,
0: genuine love that you...
1: A genuine love, yeah, that the, we were to be Philadelphians from a couple of weeks ago. And I knew this was coming. So part of why I was ringing that bell so hard is I, I was hoping that we could begin to see and experience some transformation... And, I mean, as an elder in our church, Tim, you know very well that we're, we're struggling in some areas right now with some individuals and families that are going through different kinds of crises. And, um, but beyond those, those kind of not hot-button, you know, kind of a, those crisis cases, there, there is a, a general concern I have for our church and for churches in the PCA Churches in South Jersey—that there isn't—we're not—we're not not following this this pattern of genuine love in in the family of God, and an honorable, doing good subjection in surrounding society that silences the foolish talk of ignorant men.
0: Mm.
1: We're not, and we don't have the, you know, the mind of Christ. So we're not receiving grace and and the pleasure of God God's displeased, I would say
0: well you're forgiven
1: amen <laughs> and that's why we we preach and talk is we, we we're, we're moving you know we're trying to move the needle a little bit
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, if only we get out of our own way a little bit. Mm-hmm. With that. I I appreciated. Um, maybe we can kind of close with this, Phil. I appreciated kind of the the tenor of your your sermon. It was it was a challenge to the, to the church, but it was a, a like a. Like a push from behind.
1: Yeah, it was a. It was a. It was cheering. I was cheering us on. Yeah. Unlike now, I'm a little more. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiahd. The Jeremiahd's coming out.
0: That's right. People can hit stop on this. And, or delete. Uh, <laughs> or fast forward. But um, no, I, I I I do like I I pick up on those things and they're very meaningful to me just in terms of. Even when you're preaching something that's challenging or difficult to hear because it's very convicting and we need to hear it. It is the will of God for us to hear that and to do something about it. It's not a, you know, mm-hmm. pointing your finger at us. It's,
1: yeah. let's go. You know, yeah. yeah. Let's
0: do it. Um, and yeah. I appreciate that about your brother and, and the way that you preach.
1: Well again, in, in terms of what I felt we needed to hear in the in the pulpit yesterday, that that's what I felt that we needed to hear. But um how to articulate some of these grittier uh pieces, it, it may it may fall to that sermon for next Sunday, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I know we're gonna have to slaughter at least a couple of sacred cows, Tim. Yeah. Might be some blood on the walls.
0: It's okay. It's
1: fit, it's fitting for Palm Sunday, I guess. Clean out the temple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a providence of God. These it's interesting. Are um, when
1: they are. One of the uh, this has nothing to do with anything except that I thought about it. Um, <laughs> and you have a microphone in front of your face. Right. And uh, but in in the gospel accounts on Palm Sunday. In one of the accounts, he cleanses the temple in the morning of the next day. So essentially it would be Monday. Um, In another one, he cleanses it immediately. I think it was probably the next day. But uh, maybe this is cleansing the temple on Monday after celebrating (laughs) and cheering us on on Sunday. There you go. And then maybe on Sunday I'll just cleanse the temple on the same day, one, one and the same.
0: There you go. Well, how do we get, we need that too. So
1: so uh, when we started, Tim, to, to draw it to a close, you said that one of the other ruling elders felt like I, I skipped the verses. Have we dealt with them now, do you think?
0: I mean, I'll let him be the uh, the judge of okay. that. And he'll, he'll probably know, If I don't know if he listens, but.
1: He'll leave a comment in the <laughs> comment box.
0: Huh? Yeah, or I'll, I'll get a text message. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but in your conversation with him do you think this addressed
0: I think yeah I presume I think I think it was you we read the passage you know particularly picking up in, in verse 13 and you kind of can't help but get hung up on the first couple of verses and it's really and I and I mentioned to you um when I walked into your home this morning that it was only upon the second listening of your sermon that it occurred to me that you really preached on the underlying principle mm. that Paul, uh, that Peter was getting at, which is really sixteen and seventeen. Mm-hmm. That then allows us to go back to thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen and make sense and figure it of out. That. So, um, which I, I I appreciated, you know, the the kind of that revelation coming to mind, and I think if you were to hit 13 14 and 15 without doing that you would be thrown off Mm -hmm. or or go um Mm. go askew a little bit so i think we did address it probably i mean tons more can be said but that's what casual conversations between friends is all about um and that's what being the church is all about right because it's not just hearing the word preached on sunday but it's speaking God's Word into each other's lives on a daily basis. So, you know, even though there may have been some in our congregation that wanted to hear you say something political on Sunday morning, they have the opportunity to text you or grab me or anyone else in the church and have that conversation, and that's what we want our church to be. It's not that we don't want to have those conversations, it's that... We want to hear the will of God coming from our pulpit on Sundays and we want to see that lived out in Mm -hmm. our lives throughout the other, you know, however many hours are in the week (laughs) beyond that. I'm not good at math on my feet like that. So, um, so, you know, if, if we started to scratch the itch today, but there's still more itching there, then we're event, you know, we're here, Mm -hmm. you know? And those are good, and we've had a number of these kinds of conversations. I think of a lot of the men's events are kind of centered around opportunities to have these kinds of conversations that are harder and um, aren't dealt with neatly within a one hour time frame, even less so from a, a pulpit mm-hmm. for the whole church. so um,
1: i've I've sometimes said, I didn't need to address that from the pulpit. Because that you had that idea, I didn't, and now we get to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, sometimes I think there's a tendency to view uh, in limiting ways what is and isn't said from the pulpit uh, uh, rather than an expansive way that it actually begins a conversation rather than says everything that needs to be said about it. But having said that, I do think we'll have some some uh, sacred cows to slaughter next <laughs> week.
0: Well, I know. I know that there's a, a number of sermons coming up that are going to be...
1: Oh, yeah. It's going to be several weeks of s- Slaughterhouse-Five <laughs> at Mercy, <laughs> Slaughterhouse-300.
0: Uh, well, we'll, we'll uh, Slaughter make sure on... that we give the deacons the head up, heads up that extra cleanup is going to be necessary. Yeah.
1: So the, the movie is white lettering, Slaughter on the Boulevard. And then the blood just...
0: Oh, the blood splatter. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, we're going to keep that marketing campaign off of the website. <laughs> Sounds good. Anyway, thanks for the time today, Phil. It was a good conversation. I liked how we did that format today. We might do that again. In the future. That format, by the
1: way, I've done it before is great with extra participants because the, the, the firing pattern is yeah, rock.
0: Uh, Rocky did not pull his weight today. But we'll give him a pass.
1: He's thinking about rabbits and squirrels right
0: now. <laughs> but um, that was your your little plug for um, if anyone would be interested to, yes. to join us. Yes. Yes. And I say that quite often, so I won't repeat myself verbatim. But we'd we'd welcome other participants in our recordings, um, and uh, or even just feedback. You know, email, text, phone, or grab us on Sunday and let us know what you thought and. there's other things you'd like to hear us discuss but that's all we have for you today thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the deeper cut we look forward to being with you next week god bless and have a good day